Praise God for his word. Praise God for John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Um, praise God that that message has stayed true for thousands of years. Uh, praise God that this church has continued to proclaim that message. Uh, my name is Tony Suter. I'm the children and family pastor here. I'm one of the elders as well. And it is a blessing to be able to preach to you in a new building and not be in the tent at this moment. Um, it is a blessing to uh, tell you and share with you some of the things that throughout my 20 years of being here at the church, we've experienced. Um, my kids were reminiscing. Uh, when we first got here, or when I first got here, uh, we were at our old building. Um, we would meet outside during the summers, not under a tent, but under shade structure. And we would get to enjoy, that was really a great time of fellowship. We had a nursery upstairs that the kids, my kids grew up in, and then it got converted into a conference room. And I think they like rebelled inside, like how is this the conference room now that used to be our nursery? And then we made an exodus from there over to the high school and we got to be there and move around a lot of stuff um, for nine years. <laughs> a lot of stuff and there are a lot of you that helped slept a lot of stuff for that time period and I praise God for you um, and over this time of 20 years the thing I really praise God is that the mission of Valley Center Community Church has stayed the same to glorify God by making disciples by being and making disciples that mission has been there from the get-go and Lord willing, it will continue on way past our days if the Lord doesn't come before then. And as we think about this mission to glorify God by being and making disciples, uh, the elders have wrestled over this concept. What does it really mean to be a disciple? What does it practically look like for us as the elders of the church to walk with you and to encourage you on in your faith and to see you um, become more like Christ. And so we developed the four G's, the gather, grow, give, and go, um, right? That we gather together as the body of Christ, that God's word calls us to come together, to fellowship, to worship, to learn, and to know him. That we then grow, that we are called not to stay the same, that each day, each year, we should be being transformed more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's tough. That's hard. It's going to take extra work in our lives, extra people in our lives. That's why we have to gather with people. Because the truth is, if we just do it all on our own, we don't see our blind spots. We don't see areas where we're like starting to fall short or we're starting to take short corners. We need other people to come into our lives and help us. We are not only called to gather and to grow, but we are called to give. We are to serve the body of Christ. We are to serve the community. We are to use our time, our talents, our treasures to then share the hope of Jesus Christ with one another. And finally, we are called to go with this great news, this good news, this gospel, this truth. And so that's why on the um, foyer, as you walk in, you'll see those four words, gather, grow, give, go. As you come in each Sunday to worship, to fellowship, as you come to other events, they're there as a reminder to say, hey, listen, we want to encourage you on. That's why we as elders and pastors take time on Tuesday afternoons 
to call and to check in with you and to text you and to email you and just say, hey, just want to know how we can be praying for you because we want to encourage you in your faith to keep spurring on, to keep going forward, to show the great love of Jesus Christ. It's why on the way out, there's another set of words. Do you know what those words as you leave our building are? Go and make disciples. And so they hang above our door. And it's one of those things. It's just like you get used to your place that you're in. And a lot of times you don't look up. But as you leave, if you look up every Sunday, you would see go and make disciples. And this is a simple message that we've heard. Probably many of you have heard over and over and over. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to go and I'm supposed to make disciples. But if you are anything like me, the busyness of life, the hectic speed of life, like can quickly get you consumed in everything that's going on around you. And that vision, that mission of like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to share this truth of Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to live this out. I'm supposed to proclaim this message so that the world would know that there is a great God who I serve and he can save you because you are in need of being saved. And so today we want to just come back and remind our hearts of this great truth. Okay? And we want to continue to help encourage one another on to go and to share the gospel. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28 that was just read. And most of you, like, you probably can even quote it from memory, right? Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And some of you are going to say, oh yeah, you forgot a part, Pastor Tony. You forgot the all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, right? And as I was reading and getting ready for a men's breakfast, here's the part that really jumped out at me. Go to verse 16 where this starts. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Like, let that sink in for a moment. The 11. There's no longer 12, right? Judas is gone. There's 11 of them. These 11 have traveled with Jesus for three years, right? They've been a part of watching him preach, teach, do miracles. They've even been a part of those miracles. They've been used by him to proclaim. And they've seen people come to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And here they are. Jesus has died. He has risen again. He showed himself to them on a number of occasions, right? And now here he is getting ready to ascend back into heaven. He's about to say, hey, I'm commissioning you now to go and to do the work of proclaiming this gospel. And as they get there, they worship him, and yet, some of them are doubting. Now, some of you here are like, never me, wouldn't have done that, right? Like, we've got to be honest about this. Like, how often does that happen in our lives? How often do we find ourselves in moments where it's like, hey, I really need to go do that. I just don't know if I can or I think God wants me to go talk to that person. Yeah, I, I think we're okay, right? And we have these doubting moments about our faith. We have these doubting moments maybe about even, hey, where's my relationship at with the Lord? 
And we have to continually remind ourselves of the truths of God's word. And so here we are, the 11 have showed up. Some of them are doubting. Do you think Jesus knows? Yes. Why? Because he is God. Right? And here he is, and he's with his disciples, and I'm sure he knows. And so what does Jesus do with them? Right? Does he kick them out? Does he say, hey, you know what? Shoot, this is it, guys. You, I'm leaving, so if you can't do this now, it's over. Right? Does he speak harshly to them? Does he say, you know, like, put your act together? No. Again, this is where our God is a great, gracious, and merciful God. Our Lord and Savior is patient. He is long-suffering. And so what does he do with his disciples? He meets them where they're at. And what does he say? He says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? He doesn't say anything about them. But he all of a sudden reminds them about who he is. Right? And a lot of times that's the problem with our doubts. Our doubts is because we've got our eyes focused on us and we've forgotten who our God is. Right? It's like Moses. Remember when Moses gets called by God at the burning bush? Right? He sees this bush on fire and it's burning, but yet it's not consuming this bush. It's this amazing miracle. And he goes to see it. And as he goes to see it, what happens? God speaks to him. Right? This isn't normal. These aren't real, like, everyday occurrences. And so here he is now having this conversation with this burning bush, understanding this is God. Right? And God says, hey, I want you to go into Egypt and go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And what does Moses say? You got the wrong guy. Like, I don't think I can do that. Right? Like, I, I can't speak well. I, I've got problems. Like, you, you, don't, you don't understand, Lord. You don't want to pick me. Right? And what does God then say to him? He says, no, no. I'm going to go with you. And Moses says, well, well, what if they ask who you are? He says, I am. Like, church, that is our God. I am. He is the one who is in charge of all things. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to God, been given to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Like, take that in. There is nothing outside of his command. There is no king. There is no queen. There is no president. There is no military. There is no boss. There is no parent, right? That is outside of the command of God. He has all authority. And if he has all authority and our eyes can put, our, put them where they belong on him, then do we ever need to fear going and doing what he calls us to do? No, there should never be a reason to be like, hey, I can't, I can't pull that off or I can't do that, Lord. That's beyond me. It's like, no, I, I serve the God who created heaven and earth. I serve the God who makes things happen. And so if my God calls me to go do something, I can now walk in faith trusting my God is going to go with me to go and do what he has asked of me to do. And so here it is. Jesus has called them together. He's commissioning them. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm about to leave this earth. My physical work on here is done. 
And now I am commissioning you as my disciples to go and make disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And so there are three P words that we're going to use today as we look at this passage. We are going to look at the proclamation, right? We are called to go and proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are going to look at the profession, because if we proclaim this message, we should then be looking for people to profess that they believe that the Holy Spirit has come upon them, their eyes have been opened, and they are going to then declare that's the truth. I believe that truth. I want to walk in faith in that truth. And then we're not to then leave them, but we are then to help them progress in their faith. So proclamation, profession, and progression. So let's, let's walk these things through. Proclamation. What are we to proclaim? Jesus has said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. What is the message that the people need to hear. Well, it's the message of the gospel, right? Now, we're in church. This is a very church word, gospel, okay? If I give you two minutes, can you write out the gospel? Could you get it done, right? That's the question, because it's one of those things like, oh yeah, I know what the gospel is. All right, great, let me put you on the spot, have you come up here, right? If I got my Awana leaders here, right? Can you give me the Awana, like the circle that shows, hey, this is the gospel message. Can you do it in two minutes? And so take a moment, just for a second, I'm not even gonna give you two minutes, I'm gonna give you like 30 seconds. Put together real quick in your head, hey, what is the gospel? At its core, what is the gospel? You can write on your notes. I left you a big blank space on this one. What is the gospel? Let's start with the first and primary thing. If we're going to talk about the gospel, the good news, where would we start? In Awana... All right, we have this thing called the gospel wheel. And if you want, here's how you can, you can draw a big circle on your paper, okay? Draw a big circle. At the top of that circle, who do you think you want to start with? This is, you able to speak? God, excellent. We're going to start with God, right? Why? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So we start with God. Who is God? So he's the creator. Creator of all things. Who else does God's word say he is? What does the Bible tell us about God? Okay, I'm going to need you to speak a little louder. I'm getting deaf as I'm getting older. Alpha and Omega, right? Beginning and end. What else? This is class participation. I know it's different for us. We're not used to this, but we're just going to, we're just going to work with it. <laughs> he is love. Excellent. What else? He is holy. Thank you very much. That's a great word. There's a lot more still out there. Powerful. powerful. See, I love my kids because they're ready to go for me. <laughs> Don't know what Pastor Dave does with you guys on Sunday morning. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. 
what else is he? We got holy, we got love, we got powerful. What else is he? He is just. Thank you. He is forgiving. Okay, he is forgiving. All knowing. Excellent. Right? Yes. He is the Son of Man, right? He's the Son of God. Excellent. So these things are all talking about who our God is. This term holy is a very powerful term. Revelation chapter 21 talks about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Declaring that he's always been the Alpha and the Omega, right? Holy means he is separate. He is wholly set apart from all other things because he is that powerful, that transcendent, that big of a God. And in his holiness, his holiness demands perfection. It demands that everything else live up to his standard. Okay? Not man's standard, but God's standard. Okay? And so if that's who God is, all right, and in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And when God does things, does he do them halfway? No, he does them perfectly. He does them great. He does them righteously. He makes this world perfect, right? But it only takes three chapters in the book of the Bible to get to a mess up where things go wrong, where humanity makes a decision that, hey, listen, this amazing God who made all these things, who's provided everything for us, right? He's held out on us on one tree, and that one tree might have something really special to it. And so we decided we think we need that tree in our life to make our life better. And they decided to then disobey God. They, they walked away. They rejected God and his word, and they chose to go their own way. And in doing so, they brought in sin, okay? And so man goes at the bottom of your circle. If you got God at the top of your circle, then you've got man at the bottom of your circle. Why did man drop to the bottom? Why isn't he just off to the corner a little bit? Sin, right? This, this idea of sin doesn't just separate us a little bit from God. This idea of sin separates us a lot of it from God. Because again, God is holy. He is set apart. He cannot be near sin without having to act upon it being a just and holy God. Now, in God's kindness, he's a merciful and a very patient God as well. And so he's able to balance himself and able to then be long-suffering and patient with you and I and with the world around us so that he can then say, hey, a judgment is coming, but I'm withholding that judgment for a while. And I'm allowing something to happen so that some, some salvation can take place and you don't have to experience the judgment you deserve. And how do we know we deserve judgment? Excellent. Because God is just. And because his word speaks to this truth, right? Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. What you've earned by this sin is you've earned death. And death, in the real term here, is the wrath of God. It is this punishment from God. It is what brings about hell. And so God being the holy, just, good God that he is, 
says, hey, listen, mankind, you have now fallen from grace. You have fallen into sin. And you are now in this character line on the bottom. And you are in need of salvation. You are in need of hope. And so does God just sit there and say, well, tough luck? No, this is the goodness of our God. This is John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he would send his one and only son to die and to save the world. And so you would have like a horizontal line. So you had a vertical line of character, God and man. We have a horizontal line now. And because we're English, we start on the left and we move to the right, right? So what does God do for us? He sends his son to pay the penalty for our sin. And so you would write the word cross here on the left, okay? And why is it, why is it that Jesus must die to pay the penalty for our sin? He's the ultimate sacrifice, excellent. And, and what is the penalty of sin? Death. Now this is important. This is an apologetic, which means this is you learning how to defend your faith. Because there will be people that, why wasn't God like Thanos and just like snapped his finger and just wiped it all clean, right? If he's all powerful, why didn't God just make this all go away? And the truth is God can't go against himself. And since he's holy and he's just, he must justly punish what has been done wrong, the sin that has come into this world. And so that has to happen for him to remain the one true God that he has always been. And so in his justice, he, he knows, hey, that has to be punished. And the punishment that I have declared is death. So that is the only way that this can be satisfied. And so now I need a perfect lamb to then take away the sin of the world. Well, is there anybody in humanity that can fulfill that role now that sin has come upon them? No, scripture says that's, that's impossible. David wrote in Psalm 51, like, I was conceived in sin. Like, from my birth, I've got problems because the person that started our family line, Adam, they sinned. And that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so all of us now are dealing with sin and the complexity of sin and the destruction and the destituteness of sin. And so God says, well, here's how we can then save humanity. He says, we can send us, you, my son, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, because you, you alone can live this out perfectly. And then you can pay the penalty for their sin. And that's not cheap grace, right? That is an amazing gift of love and sacrifice that God would give by sending his one and his only son. And this is where the beauty of scripture unfolds. Like how does God communicate to us? He shows us in his word over and over these great pictures of what this would look like, right? Abraham and his son Isaac. God shows us, hey, what would it look like if you had this very special son and then all of a sudden you were having to give him up, right? What grief, what pain would that cause in your heart? And yet God says, I want you to know, though, like, this is how much I love my people. This is how much I care for 
the world that I created, that I would send my son, my one, my only son, who would die so that you could then be made right with me, that you could be brought from this place, position of sin, and you could be restored into a right and good relationship with me as your heavenly father, as your God. And so the cross is the action step that Christ took, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it wasn't as if we moved out of this state of sin and then God said, oh, you made yourself clean, you made yourself good, right? It was the fact that, no, in your ugliness, in your state of being my enemy, I still loved you and I died for you. And so I paid the penalty so that you could be saved. And in doing so, here's what I then ask of you. Believe in me. Repent of your sins and trust that I can forgive them and that I can save you. Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Right? Right after Jesus ascends into heaven and he sends the disciples back to Jerusalem, he says, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on you. Peter's first sermon, Acts chapter 2, he says, repent of your sin. Acknowledge that you have wronged God. Acknowledge that you have lived in ways that aren't glorifying to him. And then confess that to him and say, God, forgive me for what I have done. Would you have mercy on me? And God, I'm trusting that through what Jesus Christ did, through your son, my sin is forgiven. And I can be made pure and I can be made holy. That's the proclamation. That's us taking the gospel out into the world and proclaiming, hey, this is the truth you need to know. Why is that the truth? Because God's word tells me that's his truth. And his word is right and it is good. And so it is now what we need to hear to be saved. And through listening to his word, this is where the spirit of God can work and open eyes and bring the dead to life so they would say, oh, that, that's what I need because my life is broken. My life is a wreck. My life is messed up. I need this salvation so that I can then move forward and I can give God all the glory that he deserves. Right? That's the call. Do you have the ability to do that? So one, yes, you do, right? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to God. And if God has all authority, he says to his people, I can go with you. I am for you. I can help you to do this, right? Is that easy to go do what I just said? No. There's lots of ways that that's a hard thing to do. One, hey, how do I just say that and word that in a way that makes sense to people, right? How do I do that? Which takes some practice, right? Then there's, there's all these fears that come in. Well, what if I'm not good enough? What if, what if I don't say it right, right? We allow all these fallacies, these lies that the devil tries to put in our head to then try to keep us from going and sharing this good news, right? So we start with ourself, right? One of the things that we'll say is, well, I'm not ready. I don't know enough, okay? What do you need to know to share that gospel? 
What were the four things that you need to know? There is a God, right? He is holy. There is mankind who is sinful. Yep. Because of our sin. Now, this is going to be one of the kicker ones for the, the world that we live in. Nobody likes to use this word sin anymore. Right? People really aren't that bad. Like, we make mistakes. Yeah, every now and then things get a little bit off the rails. But when it comes down to it, like, come on now. We're really not that bad of a people. That's kind of how society likes to kick it, right? We'll complain about the news. We'll complain about things that are going on. But when it comes down to like, hey, have to look in the mirror and deal with yourself, like, mm, I look better than that one over there, so I really, I'm really not that bad, right? And, and we, we play that game with ourselves that, hey, it's really not that bad. Or we play that game with the people that we know, like, hey, that person needs to know Jesus Christ. That person needs to hear the gospel. And when we think about it, we'll be like, but, I mean, their life's really not that bad, and so, like, we'll deter ourselves from doing what God's word calls us, from going and proclaiming the gospel truth to them and allowing the gospel to work in their hearts and in their lives. So how do we then go into all the world and proclaim the gospel? How can we go and do this as a family, as a church, as the body of Christ, right? This is where we need each other. Right? It's why we need to gather together to encourage one another on, to spur one another on, to say, hey, you know what? Remember what Jesus called us to do? We need to now go and do it. This is where we can pray for each other. Right? We can say, hey, can you pray for me? Because I really need to talk to this person and I need God's help because there's a spiritual battle going on there and it's a real deal. And I need God to come and help me do this, to carry this out, to love them, right? So we need each other. We need to then grow in our ability to share the hope of Jesus Christ. And that takes practice. It takes time. It takes us working through these truths. So now, some of you may be like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm on the same page now. I feel the call to go. How do I get practice? Glad you asked, right? Two Sundays from now, November, or October, October 16th, we are going to have an Evangelism 101 class at the 9 o'clock hour. And if you would like to continue to get encouraged, like, hey, how do I share this truth of what Jesus has done for me, then that's a great class to go start. You can go there. Um, John and Syria Flores are going to lead that class. Um, Doug Griffith may probably help them. They are going to then help you Think about the gospel, how that gospel message can be communicated in a clear way and give you opportunity to practice because you need that, right? You can come serve in the Awana ministry because it's sometimes easier to say these things to little kids. And it's okay. We need you guys to learn how to then communicate this truth because this message is the message that needs to go out into all the world. This is the message that starts and needs to continue to go out. This is a message, honestly, you need to preach first and foremost to yourself each and every day. God's word in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God. 
And the armor of God, when you go through the armor of God, every piece of the armor of God deals with the gospel. It deals with, hey, how am I going to fight the battle, the war that I'm in? I have to keep reminding myself of what my God has done for me. I put on a helmet of salvation, right? My mind needs to keep thinking about who my God is, what he has done for me, so it guards it from the lies of the devil. I put on a breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness is on, am I putting on? I'm putting on Christ. So I remember that by Christ dying for me and living perfectly, he says to me, I give you this gift of my righteousness. So that when God looks at you, he no longer sees you as a sinner. He sees you as a saint who's been redeemed and restored. And he sees you clean and pure, righteous. That's there for you. I have a shield of faith. That faith is reminding me of what my God has done for me, and it guards me from the fiery arrows, the darts that the enemy tries to hurl at me and tries to keep me from being able to live boldly and speak boldly the truths of God's word. My shoes are made ready with the gospel of peace, right? I can stand firm knowing what my Lord has done, that Jesus Christ has died for my sin, my sin is taken care of, I don't have to like quake in my boots. I can stand there and I can advance. I can move forward to share that truth in power and in love because I have God's peace going with me. I have the sword of the Spirit. I have God's Word to share with people, to encourage them, to show them, hey, here's what the truth is about the situation you're in so that you will hear it and you will go forward with it. I have the belt of truth, right, that's holding this thing all together because God's word is truth. And so we need that each and every day to remind ourselves, oh yeah, this is how good my God is. This is what he has done for me. This is how he loves me. That is the proclamation of the gospel. Start with yourself. Tell it to your families, right? Parents, tell it to your kids, wives and husbands. Tell it to each other. Why? Because the truth is you need to be reminded, oh yeah, the person across from me, they're a sinner, right? Without the gospel, they have fallen into sin. They are probably still going to do some things. Even though in God's grace they have been forgiven, there are moments that they're still going until they get to heaven, falter. And then I have to remind myself, what has Christ done for me? Oh, Christ died for me. He was gracious to me in my sin. So how should I treat them right now? I should treat them with the same grace and love that God showed me. And so now the gospel helps me to love my wife, helps me to love my kids, helps me to then love my neighbor, right? My coworker. The gospel now is able to be lived out by me and to go forward proclaiming the excellencies of our God. How great is our God. So as I proclaim that message, should I expect a return? Should I expect something to happen? We should. Why? Because our God is a good God. And if he says, hey, go and proclaim something, we should anticipate that he is going to then draw people to himself, right? He desires that none should perish. And so as I proclaim this, I should expect a profession of faith from people. I should expect them to say, I hear that and I want to walk in obedience. Now, here's what we also know. God's word gives us the parable of the four soils. There are going to be people that you're going to proclaim this message to. 
and they're going to outright reject it. Right? Their hearts are hard. They want nothing to do with it. And in that moment, you need to know, hey, God, I proclaimed that I've been faithful. I don't need to do much more except for pray and ask that you would churn their ground, stir it up, and get them ready for somebody else to proclaim the gospel message to them. Some of you are going to proclaim the gospel, and it's going to land on rocky soil. Right? It's going to like land, and somebody's going to be kind of excited about it. And then all of a sudden, the pressures of life, the heat of the sun is going to hit on it. And you're going to realize, like, hey, they were kind of excited about it. That died out really quick. They didn't, they didn't last very long. And you'll see it happen. And, and so, like, don't get frustrated. Again, it's the idea of, like, hey, God, you're revealing what's going on in their heart. So now I know how to pray for them as I proclaim the gospel. There's some that it's going to land on thorny soil. Right? You're going to proclaim this truth, and it's going to take root, but it's going to grow up like a flower in thorns. And over time, what's going to happen is the cares of this world are going to choke out that seed. And it's going to just kill what looked to be a fruitful plant. And again, it reveals, oh God, would you have mercy on them so that they would hear the fullness, and would they then make a full, clear profession of their faith. And when they are ready to profess their faith, then Matthew 28 says, what should we do with them? We should baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We should help them to make their profession of their faith public and to take on this great symbol of what Christ has done inside of them by coming into the baptism water. And in baptism... What we're doing is we're proclaiming, hey, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he took my sin. And when he was buried, I was buried with him. That's us going under the water. I was put under the water. I was buried. And then he didn't stay dead, but he rose again and he brought me back to life and he brought me back pure and clean. And I am now righteous because of what he has done. And as I take on that symbol, I am professing to the world, this is what I believe, right? As a church, we would encourage you, hey, take the step of baptism as a way to profess it. Don't, don't fall into the, the lie of the devil. Well, hey, it's just my faith, right? At no point does scripture ever say, hey, guess what? It's just my faith. It's just between me and God. And nobody else needs to know about it. Like scripture nowhere gives us that. Scripture says, no, you go and share what Christ has done for you. And if you're scared to get in front of people and share that truth, like, again, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to our God. He is able to go with you. And he is able to give you the strength to do what you think, hey, I could never do that. I could never stand in front of people and tell them, like, hey, this is what God has done for me in my life. So it, it is a humble thing. But it is a good and God-honoring thing because God's word calls us to do it. It commands us to go and do this thing. And so we have a proclamation, share the gospel. We have a profession that is then going to be made by those. And as they make it, we should then encourage them, hey, walk forward in your faith. We as a church would encourage you, hey, the idea of baptism was to unify them with the body of Christ. Take on church membership as well. Unify yourself with the body of Christ. Let the world know 
This is where I stand. I am a part of Christ's body. And as a part of Christ's body, here is where my, my life, my membership lies. And I want to then honor the Lord and King so that we would go forward as a church proclaiming the gospel to the world around us and they would see the light of Jesus Christ. And then last is we have a progression, right? As we have proclaimed this message and people have professed, that's my Lord, that's my Savior, I believe it. We are called to then teach them to observe all that God's word is commanded, right? And so we are to then work together, grow together, gather together to know our Christ more, to know our God more, and to live for his name's sake and for his glory. How do we do that? Like Michael uh, Gainsborough shared it so well when he got baptized. He said, hey, I used to like get invited to stuff and I'd say, hey, that's okay, I'll, I'll just be at church, I'll see you there, right? And then he said, I made the choice to just say yes. You asked me to men's Bible study? Yes. You asked me to go to men's breakfast? Yes. He gathered with the body because he wanted to grow in his faith. And he didn't stay the same person he was. He's continually growing and continually growing. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's when the world around us sees, says, oh, there's something different here. What's changed? That then opens the door for us to proclaim. As we proclaim, we should then see people profess. As people profess and we walk with them in their faith, we should see progression, which should lead to more proclamation, right? Like this then should keep moving itself forward so that the body of Christ continues to grow and God is glorified. So now, Clemson Tigers, when they go out on a football field at a game, they walk by this rock, right? And they rub this rock and it's their symbol of like unity and I don't know what it means, it's just they're rubbing a rock, but somehow it unites them, <clears throat> right? There are certain things that we do as a people that give symbolism to things, right? We as a church, when we built this, we said, hey, we really want our body to know, gather, grow, give, go. It's important to us. It's part of our DNA because God's word calls us to do these things. We also want our body to know, hey, we are called to go with that message. Go into the world, proclaim this news because our God is worthy of it being proclaimed. And so as you go, start figuring out a way that you signal yourself to say, oh yeah, there's the call. I've been here, I've been with the body, I've gathered. I've grown through the messages. These next set of messages that Pastor Dave's about to preach in the book of Ephesians are going to be powerful messages, right? This is a great opportunity for us to bring people to come and hear how great is our God and the good things that he has done for us. And so bring them. But if not... Come and grow in them so that then you are empowered by the Spirit to then go and share that good news with Valley Center and all around. Now, another way you can do this, it's October, right? October 31st is Reformation Day. It's also Halloween Day, right? And there's a way for us as a church to be a light in our community by serving trunk and treat, right? Just handing out candy is a means by which we can proclaim the gospel. And here's how it works, right? We have people that are parkers, and they're making sure people are safe, and people are cared for and they're loved. 
And so as they get smiles and waves as they're coming in and they know their kids are safe, people all of a sudden realize like, wow, like this is a, this is a, this is a neat thing that God has given to our community that they would care for us this way. And then kids walk around and we cheer them on and we give them candy. And moms may not like it, but the kids do. And so moms put up with it, right? And they say, but look at what they've done for my kid. Look at how they've made a safe place for my kid to come. And as they go through the trunks, we have a verse card at each one. And they write down a verse and it shares with them the gospel. Right? It might be Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. By grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. Right? So there's something that will be there. Or John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We proclaim that truth so that the world would then know. And then we have an evangelism team. And they share more with them. Like, hey, do you know this God? Do you know that he has forgiven your sin if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Because God is able to do that. Like, what a great and good gift that God gives to us. And so we would encourage you, join us for that. Join the evangelism team. Continue to grow in your faith. Now we get to do a great thing. We get to partake of communion where we remind ourselves of what our Lord has done for us and we proclaim the gospel through this symbol and this action that we are now about to take on.